So how many of you have known someone who's visually impaired? Most of us. I have to say, most of my life, the only people I had experienced that with were people near the end of their life when their facilities had, had begun to dim, until I met Jeannie. Jeannie was a member of our congregation, and she was someone who was not born blind, so she had experienced that gift of sight, and therefore, something we take for granted, she knew not to do so. And she was somebody that brought so much life to our congregation. She made sure that someone took her clothes shopping, and she wanted her clothes to reflect her personality, so her clothes were always bright and colorful. Somehow she figured out how to do her makeup each day, maybe not always perfect, but she always knew that she had made the effort. She had her hair done each week. She always had a smile. And Jeannie was someone who understood that being around someone with her situation can make you uncomfortable, and she'd do everything possible to make sure that you didn't feel that way. She, she was not afraid to make light of her situation. She'd often catch you when you'd use the word see, and she'd say, no, I don't see, just, just to get you to loosen up and know that it's okay. And Jeannie was somebody who contributed so much to our congregation. She was a part of our drama team, regularly taking parts. She was also on our dance team. And no, her movements were not always perfect, but nobody cared because they appreciated the contribution she was making. And Jeannie was always so gracious. She would give me a friendly reminder, because I'm somebody that tends to use a lot of visuals in my sermons, that she'd say, you know, Jerry, you realize I can't see what you're putting on the screen, so can you give me a little explanation? Or if I show a video, will you set it up so I'll get more out of the dialogue? And she shared it not to be critical, but just to point out that she wanted to get as much as she possibly could out of worship. But Jeannie was a unique gift to our congregation. She saw things that we didn't see. And, and like her, the story of this man that was born blind, the one who was blind from birth, shares things that the others could not see. He was the one who had the spiritual insight that others were so spiritually blind. You discover when you read this passage that out of 41 verses, there are 24 different references to sight, to seeing, to blindness. There are so many layers of meaning. So let's listen for what God might have for us to see. Now, we know that from biblical times that blindness was fairly more common probably than we experience. There was a very common disease that started with the water duct in the eyelid. Because of the arid climate, because of sand and wind, the dryness, that condition would get aggravated, and it was highly contagious. It would pass from person to person. You'd see it with swollen eyelids and swollen eyeballs. It was fairly common. So it was something most people would see in someone that they knew. Also, it was understood that blindness was something that the Messiah would take care of. The prophet Isaiah, in his prophecy about the coming Messiah, said that he would heal many diseases, that he would make the lame walk, that he'd make the deaf hear, that he would make the blind see. And Jesus healed two people in the scriptures. Our story today is one. The other we find was Bartimaeus, found in the first three Gospels. Jesus was shared offering those healings as a sign that he was the Messiah. Now, 
What's most important and most significant for us is to realize that in those days, people still made an association between sin and illness of any kind. The assumption was if you've got a disease, if you've had an injury, you must have done something to bring that upon you. It was based on a very literal understanding taken out of context of Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And so that thinking developed. Now, the scriptures tried to balance that. The book of Job was written for that purpose. Even the prophet Ezekiel pointed out that that God does not pass sin on from one generation to the next. But still that belief persisted. And that's what led to the disciples' question of Jesus. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, it's kind of easy to scoff at that, isn't it? Doesn't that seem pretty ancient and pretty uh, limited? But really, are we all that different? I mean, we, we know that the plagues that the world used to experience have been taken care of mostly through proper sanitation. We know we need to wash our hands to keep from spreading the germs from one person to another. We, we know that, that congenital abnormities are caused by issues with our chromosomes. We also know that natural disasters like earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, they have things that are caused by the natural works of the earth that probably need to happen or it might explode. And yet, when something bad happens to us, when a tragedy hits, what's the first question we ask? Why? Why did this happen to me? What, what have I done <clears throat> to bring this on? <clears throat> we, we have this unconscious understanding somehow that if God is there, he's going to protect us from all these things. You know, that's never promised in the scriptures, but, but we believe that inside, I think. And so when those things happen, we want to know why. We want to understand. What do we do when we find someone has, has gotten cancer? We want to know what type of cancer it is. We want to know where it originated. We want to know if it's lung cancer. Did they smoke? We want some kind of a sense of what is it that they were doing because there's such a mystery still to that disease? If there's anything we can do to avoid it, we want to make sure that we know. And even though Jesus himself said that he brings rain upon the just and the unjust, still we have people on TV, it shows up in the news, preachers proclaiming that when there's a flood, when there's an earthquake, when there's a tornado, it's because of the sins of the nation. We know better, and yet we still ask that question why. We still feel some of that shame. We, we lose a job, even though it may be caused by downsizing, and we don't really want to talk about it. We're not much different than those disciples who said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, I hope you caught the, the comedy in this story. I mean, do you catch that? Isn't there a lot of irony that the man who is born blind is the one who sees the most? And all those who are supposed to be in the know, the disciples, the Pharisees, they don't seem to get it. 
look at the disciples, and somehow they think because Jesus has chosen them to follow them around Palestine, that somehow they are superior and therefore have the right to ask about this man's sins. And the Pharisees, they were so consumed with the, with the Jewish law, especially its Sabbath laws, that when they saw that Jesus did what amounted to work, they're critical of him. It may not seem like work, but you see, congenital blindness is something that could be healed on another day, according to their understanding. And the fact that Jesus needed that... guess I won't go there. That mud there. The fact that Jesus needed the mud was one of the 39 things named as work according to their understanding of the scriptures. And so the fact that Jesus has worked on the Sabbath makes him a sinner, which means that it's impossible for him to therefore perform a healing, which therefore means that this man can't truly have been healed. He must have been able to see, and it's all a hoax. And the fact that this man was blind from birth, that means he's a sinner, so we shouldn't have to listen to them. And that's where the Pharisees come from. Even the parents of this man is someone who you'd think would celebrate that their loved one can now see. And what do they do? They don't want to get take any responsibility for it. They say, go ask him. He can speak for himself. They're so afraid that they'll get caught up and be claimed as confessors of Jesus as the Messiah. The only one in this story that gets it is someone who knew very little about Jesus, who's been blind from birth, who's been considered a sinner from the day he was born, is the one who sees. How ironic that is. So there's two ways I think we're called to hear this scripture. And so the best way to hear a story like this is try to put yourselves in the shoes of one of the characters. And if we put ourselves in the shoes of the Pharisees, we realize that, you know, a lot of us check off some of the same boxes the Pharisees do. I, I know I do. I mean, the Pharisees took great pride in the four pillars of the faith. They went to synagogue weekly. They prayed daily. They tithed at 10%. And certainly, they knew their Bible. Oh, they knew their Bible so well. And yet, they were the ones that were blind. I was thinking about an experience I had a few years ago. I was pastors called by the new director of the Indianapolis Council of Churches. I wanted to call all the pastors who were willing to come and gathered us around and had us share about what are the helping ministries we're doing in the city. So I thought that might give us a sense of where the needs are and what needs are already being covered. Maybe what, what is it the council churches could do that perhaps some churches can't do separately. And so we went around the room. She had us share our name, what church we're from, and what ministry or ministries we're doing to be helpful to people in the city. And as you can imagine with 25 pastors, as long as they could be, it took a while. And I was one of them. I was not afraid to share the good news of our food pantry. We came near the end, and there was a young man, a United Methodist pastor, at a church in the urban core of Indianapolis. I, I knew about his church. I knew him. And so I was eager to hear what they're doing. I thought perhaps there's something I can learn from him. And he looked around, and he kind of 
shrugged his shoulders and he said, gosh, uh, we don't have any programs for the poor. We just receive whomever God brings to our door and we love them and we find out what their gifts are and we just work together. Now, I know some of those pastors thought he was being rather flippant, but me knowing him and knowing that church, I realized he saw something that we were not seeing. His congregation understood that the best way to be helpful is not to create an us and them or we give what we have to you, but we work side by side. You see, the Pharisees didn't get that as well. They were so eager to separate themselves from anyone who might be considered a sinner that they could not see the need around them. They could not see the concerns that were there. They could not see that this blind man could now see. And isn't the sad thing that in all this story that no one just jumps up and down and says, here's someone who could not see and now he can. But another way we might need to hear this story today is to put ourselves in the shoes of the blind man. And just imagine, if you would, that he overheard, maybe he did, overheard that conversation between the disciples and Jesus when they're asking who sinned. I'm sure he overheard conversations like that from people who think that blind people don't hear either. And imagine what he felt and experienced when Jesus answered those disciples and said, neither. This man was born blind in order for the works of God to be made known. And imagine how he might have experienced that. That no longer is there guilt and shame for his blindness. But he now is part of that opportunity for God to be made known. And so I hope that you can hear those words as you need to hear them. To realize that there should be no shame for a man who's born blind. There should be no guilt for someone who has given birth to a child with special needs. There should be no isolation for someone who has lost their job because their company is downsizing. That we should not feel shame because we or a loved one is experiencing mental or emotional issues. To all understand that there are no perfect families in this world. We all have someone that we are concerned and care about. And how much better would the world be? How much better would our faith community be if we were free to share those with one another? I can guarantee you, every one of you that could name something that you're struggling with, I can go find someone else who's got the same thing going on. I'd love to hook you up and get you talking. Hear this as that man who's born blind. And when you do so, then you experience the grace that God intends. Now, i got to talk about the mud. You see the mud, right? I'm not going there. You can't help but ask, why did Jesus use mud to heal this man? Bartimaeus, he simply spoke and he was healed. Why did he spit on some dirt and put it on this man's eyes? And you can Google it and you'll find all kinds of explanations, any of which might be right. But there's a couple which intrigued me. One is, I think Jesus knew that those Pharisees would get upset with him working 
on the Sabbath. He knew that kneading that mud would be considered work in their eyes, and they would raise issue. And so it was an opportunity, a teaching moment, to teach them their blindness, but to teach others how easy it is to fall in that blindness. But also, we know that we are made from the dust of the earth, right? And spittle was considered to have healing powers in those days. And so Jesus wants to somehow make it possible, not just for this man, but to remind all of us, even to this day, that when we join the powers of Jesus Christ with who we are, dust of the earth, God can give us the power that we need to face whatever challenge we are experiencing. So hear this story as you need to hear it. Either as the Pharisees and the spiritual blindness we might be experiencing, or as the blind man in the grace and comfort that God wants to give to us. So that no matter what challenge you're facing, his power and his grace are sufficient.